a kid in detention in my accountant's office while he was like, what did you do? <laughs> I was like, I don't Books know. It's crazy. It was funny because I in the email, I was like, I accidentally deleted these two things. And I told him, I was like, I really didn't accidentally do it. Yeah. I did it very much on purpose, right. I, but it was I just like them. a huge mistake. <laughs> <laughs> it just threw my entire yeah. balance off for my whole he, business. He was like, why would you record these as sales? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> Listen, we're not good at finances here no, on my Her Story on the Rocks. We don't um, know what's happening. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. What? <laughs> what are finances? Her Story on the Rocks. What about it? What did I say? Yeah. I was going to do the intro oh, then. Oh, <laughs> on the rocks. <laughs> I see. We're also not good at improv. <laughs> also, we can't do intros unless it's about the weather, apparently. I know. My goodness. Um, but we're glad you're here. Yeah. At Herstory. On the rocks. With Katie. <laughs> and Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. And we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we're drinking the entire time. And we're not historians. Yes. But we've almost done 200 of these things. Yeah, Guys. It's pretty exciting. We're getting so close. March 24th, we're going to have a live Zoom event. Whoop, whoop. Been announced. I think think you think seven o'clock's a good time because that's think so. five on the west coast oh yeah that's if you live not in one of the america time zones i'm very sorry we will record it for oh, you yeah. so that you can get it at a differing mm-hmm. time or just stay up in the middle of the night and hang yep. out with us whatever exactly. you want to do <laughs> <laughs> drink at 5 a.m we love Woo-hoo! it <laughs> on a sunday um but yeah so that should be fun yeah it's gonna be a great time we got um, some guests lined up very exciting guests. i'm gonna I, i'm gonna have like a trivia game <gasps> like a online oh all of gosh. us play at the same time oh i thought they're gonna be like a tri- you remember when we tried to do trivia based on episodes we'd already done oh and, and we, we didn't know that so was like bad. after the first season we're idiots yeah <laughs> <laughs> we're so no that was like a hundred episodes no i think i feel like it was our hundred episode thing oh my god and then we so like messed it up ago. and like i was asking questions to you about women you had done yeah and you were asking me questions about, about what women, i have done women also that you have done <laughs> yeah so we didn't clarify we didn't cover any of my women <laughs> right that's okay anyways here we go um <laughs> you might be busy uh, busy playing trivia at a bar right now yes but it's, it is like Star Trek trivia, and you are a Star you Wars care. girl. Yeah. You're a Star Wars girl, so you've got one headphone in uh-huh. listening to this. Yes. So while you're there, you might be wondering, what in the world do these women look like? But you don't want anybody to like – you're not allowed to have your phone in trivia, right? right? you can't. It's you're not, not allowed fair. to have your phone. Mm-mm. So you can't look up what these women look like. So we're going to describe them for you so you have a picture in your head. Mm-hmm. We're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing, and what does she look like? I'm doing Anna Marie, better known as Rogue <laughs> from the X-Men. This is our first fictional lady of the season. Yay. She's a white woman with two-toned hair. <laughs> Her head is mostly covered with wavy brown hair, but has very distinct bright white strips in the front she often holds her hair up with a sweatband around her forehead although most recently the x-men have been put in black suits in the comics rogue is usually dressed like a bag of funyuns (laughs) in yellow and green with a brown leather jacket and a brown utility belt and of course don't forget the gloves Mm -hmm. side note the original uh, creator wanted her to look like Grace Jones, but the illustrator didn't know who Grace Jones was. <laughs> so just drew her the way he wanted to draw her. <laughs> so that's 
very Funny. different. Looks. Yeah, she does not look like Grace <laughs> no, Jones. Not at all. At all. Um, so that's Rogue. I'm so excited. <sighs> she's my favorite superhero. I think she's Mine your favorite too. superhero. Also, my favorite Halloween costume of all time. That you've ever done. The best. I'm <laughs> literally. Je- I'm jealous of it. I think it's the best one that's ever walked through the doors of my house. That costume. Oh, it totally is. Spot on. I, oh my gosh. I, we need to like post a picture of it or something. It's so. Because I was so impressed with myself. Yeah. At how good it was. It was very good. And, and you've never... had some good ones. Yeah. <laughs> you've had some good ones. But there's always one thing that I'm kind of half-assing in the costume. Yeah. Always one element. And I didn't feel that way with her. No. Hers was great. It was so good. Yeah. Okay. Um, Who are you doing and what does she look like? She's not as fun and cute. No. Uh, <laughs> I'm doing... Anora Kelly, aka Jane Toppin, or aka Jolly Jane. So Jane was your typical 1800s broad. She was a strong, ruddy-looking lower-class woman. Oh my god! If somebody ever described me as ruddy, I would die, die on the spot. Die, ruddy or willowy, I die. <laughs> she had brown hair that was always kind of back in a bun, but she always had a lot of flyaways. Ooh, you know, good. like it was never smooth back, like a Gibson girl. <laughs> Which I'm sure she's very bitter about. Um, <laughs> she had rounded features, long eyebrows, and when you realize what she's done, her smile takes on a very sinister nature. <laughs> and that's what she looked like. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. Tell me what we are drinking. It's like red. Yes. Okay. So this is called It's Not Arsenic, I Swear. <laughs> Wow. We've got some good titles this week. I'm excited now. <laughs> and it's uh, an ounce and a half of rum, an ounce of sour cherry liqueur, an ounce of coffee liqueur, and cocoa bitters. And mm. you garnish with a cherry. Cheers. Mm. I mean, the coffee is definitely overpowering. Maybe I should have done like a little less coffee. Because I feel like the cherry's not coming through. But you get it like a little bit on the back. I like coffee. Mm-hmm. And I can taste the cocoa. Too. Is it? Mm-hmm. Wait, is there chocolate in there you yeah, said? Cocoa yeah, cocoa bitters. Mm-hmm. See, I think that's stronger than the coffee flavor. Mm. Mm. Yeah, pretty good. And also sometimes things that are too cherry can taste like uh, slushy at highs. That's true. Yeah, so it's a little better when it's yeah. subdued. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what do you know about Jolly Jane? I know she was a serial killer. I feel like every time we cover a woman, it's like, and this was the first female serial killer. <laughs> it's like nobody believed there was ever any other serial killer yeah. other than the one that they're just listening about. Yes. Um, and I think she killed like a lot of people. Yeah. A lot, a lot of a people. Ton. Like she was no like kind of serial killer. Yeah. There's no question about it. <laughs> she, she was like crazy. Okay. But that's all I know. I don't know anything about her. I, um, yeah, I'm not a killer aficionado like you are so i i I wouldn't even known to pick her name perfect um yeah so she is a very famous one she is kind of like the og like angel of death okay um which is a type of serial killer that is like a healthcare worker that like kills her patients i feel like the the og angel of death is like from the bible yeah (laughs) that's probably that's the original right like the 10th plague yeah yeah that's too um so i got most of this from the podcast criminal broads uh and then i watched um 
Bailey Serian. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Um, she has a, a YouTube channel called Makeup and Mystery where she does her makeup while she tells a story. Casey's cousin Sarah told me about this years ago. And then Did I, you just tell me about this last week? Or you told me about a girl who does her makeup while she draws a portrait? Or tells yes. a story while she draws a portrait? She tells a story while okay. she draws a portrait. So okay. I'm just all into these like novelty YouTube channels. Okay. Now. Very cool. Um, but it's so good. She's very good at her makeup. I there are so many steps. It's unreal. I don't understand makeup. I don't like I can't do it. Also don't care to. <laughs> no. But she's I, very I'm good impressed at it. by people who are good um, at it. I just don't care to. <laughs> and then of course Wikipedia, but those mm. were my two main sources. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Anora Kelly. I also have him spelling saying that right. Someone said it like Honora. No, like, I think Anora sounds I think right. Anora's right. Um she was born on March thirty first, eighteen fifty four to Irish immigrants in Boston, Massachusetts. She had two older sisters, Nellie and Delia. Perfect. In, yeah. Great names. <laughs> um, but unfortunately for these girls, their home life was not ideal. Mm. Their mother, Bridget, died from tuberculosis at a young age, and their father, Peter Kelly, was a little off. And by a little off, I mean his nickname around town was Peter the Crack or Peter the Crackpot. And to give you a little flavor of the type of crazy we're talking about, he once sewed his own eyes shut while working in a tailor shop. Shut up. No, thank you. While he was awake? Yeah. Like, just, what do you <laughs> he do? He did do it you, himself. Do you, like, pull your eyelids out a little? Yeah, I guess so. Oh. Yeah, certainly crackpot behavior right then and there. <laughs> um, so then in 1860, only a few years after his wife's death, he was like, I should not be taking care of children. <laughs> So he took his two youngest children, eight-year-old Delia Josephine and six-year-old Honora, to the Boston Female Asylum, an orphanage for um, female children. Mm. I wrote indigent. I don't know what that means. Um, Indignant? Indignant? Maybe? Children? I don't know. Who knows? But the kids are going to an asylum. They're going to an orphanage asylum. By no fault of their own. By no fault of their own. Just because their dad is Mm. crazy. Um, But honestly, that's probably the sanest thing he ever did was like, I I I can't take care of these kids. I can't take care of you. Um, So he never saw them again. I also don't understand this thing where it's like if a mom dies, dads in the 1800s were literally unable to function. Yeah. They could not do it. I don't understand. Ridiculous. (laughs) The note from the asylum uh simply said they were rescued from a miserable home which was true Mm. and then apparently charlie himself was put into an insane asylum uh separate (laughs) jane's oldest sister nelly um was also eventually put into an insane asylum from what we know and then we don't know too much about what happened to delia and jane in the orphanage like that part is a little uh misty Mm. but being as it was an orphanage called an asylum in the 1800s and they were two Irish girls, I can't imagine it was a great experience. Yeah, I'm trying to, like, were, were her dad and her older sister going to an asylum, like, a poorhouse? Or was it an asylum, like, mental health? Or I, I have that's crazy. no idea. Because I also feel like at this time the word asylum doesn't was, like, mean the same thing. it doesn't mean the same yeah. thing always. You know, because obviously they're in an asylum, but it's an orphanage. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I'm sure someone is, asylum like... Asylum is just, like, a building for people that in need. I guess so. Like, yeah. Because I feel like it, like, a synonym for asylum normally like was like safe haven or okay. institution okay. like someplace you like 
put things for them to be cared for, but that usually didn't happen in <laughs> asylums. Let's change it or back. Maybe I'm let's, wrong. Let's maybe I'm the word totally, <laughs> totally wrong. Maybe asylum is always meant den of iniquity. <laughs> so somebody, somebody, let us know the definition of asylum. <laughs> okay, so Delia. Uh, don't really know too much about what happened to her, but apparently she became a sex worker when she was older who was murdered by a client um, or other sources just say she died. So we don't really know what's going on there. Mm. Um, but we do know that when Jane is just about eight years old, she becomes an indentured servant in the home of Mrs. Ann C. Toppin of Lowell, Massachusetts. Uh, apparently she did the thing of like, she was like, I need a house girl. And she just went to the orphanage and picked Jane out. I'm going to go pick one from the garden. (laughs) Now she was never legally adopted by this family, but she did like obviously basically grow up in their home and change her last name, changed her last name. And they're like, you know what? Honora sounds too Irish. So you're Jane now. Wow. White people love doing that. It's our favorite thing. (laughs) So she got along pretty well with the family, especially with the daughter, Elizabeth, But no matter how friendly they were with one another, Jane was always reminded that she was a servant and she was beneath them. Mm. And she was also reminded frequently that she was Irish. So she was even lesser and even more beneath them (laughs) because of her heritage. Cool. Because remember, this is the heyday of like Irish need not apply. And like they were really treated poorly. The Toppins sound like really great people. They're lovely. (laughs) Uh, And because she is so beneath them, she should feel lucky that she is anywhere near their house. Because you know if a girl of your heritage of your poverty level would be just out in the streets look at your sisters and asylums dead on the street oh they're so gracious feel lucky (laughs) wow so that's the kind of vibe that's going on Mm. so jane is growing up and she is a well-known fixture of the top and household so even though she's obviously working in the house like they have fancy parties and the guests at the parties like come to know and really like jane she is nice she is personable she is hysterical she's got really crazy good stories that just delight everyone and soon neighbors start to ask the toppins if they can borrow jane for things like babysitting and like little things around the house you know and you know so she's like late to the party absolute riot (laughs) great Um, small talk (laughs) but these stories she's telling everyone aren't really true <laughs> so okay jane so is telling a pathological a liar <laughs> i need you to know that before we go any further is she an author maybe her father was not a respected sailor who traveled the world no. her brother doesn't even have a brother did not exist and also <laughs> did not receive a medal of honor from president lincoln mm. and her sister certainly did not marry an english lord <laughs> She just loves to lie. And you know all the English lords. They were really trying to marry those Irish yeah. girls. <laughs> they were like, yes. Get over it's here. Time. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, Delia was not having a good time, actually, in reality. Um, but she wasn't just telling stories about her own personal life. But she also started to tell stories about just, like, people around the way who she didn't really like. She loved spreading rumors about people. And she was so beloved and so animated and so good at lying that people believed her. And it was seemingly not for, like, any type of 
gain it was just to amuse herself and fill her day like fine with she that. fucking loved spreading rumors <laughs> um even when she was a kid she would lie about other kids just for the fun of like seeing them get in trouble oh no and when she did get caught which was frequently she was really good at weaseling herself out of trouble like mm. she's a very good communicator um so and you know those people who are like oh, yeah. they're lying they're stealing and they're always getting away with it yeah. why like <laughs> she is an absolute typical like con artist mm. um so cut to 1885 jane is 31 years old and uh, she has now served the toppins the second generation of toppins the third generation of toppins so that she's like i need to get out of this fucking house <laughs> so she begins to train as a nurse at cambridge hospital and Jane was made for nursing. She was so sweet to all of the patients. She had great bedside manners. She was strong enough to lift and move patients on her own. Wow. And she was always willing to help out whenever anyone needed assistance. And the employees loved her. She was always cracking jokes, lightening the mood, entertaining them with her stories. <laughs> they even called her Jolly Jane because she could delight even the most surly of patients. So fun. Great bedside manner, Jane. Yes. But the camaraderie didn't last forever with Jane. Soon her co-workers were getting suspicious of some of the things she was saying. Hmm. Like when she casually mentioned that the Tsar of Russia offered her a job on his private medical staff and she was going to mull it over a little bit before making her final decision. Okay, that's a little far They'd be like, is that? What? I don't know. How would he know about you? It's just like not quite adding up. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and then they also didn't uh, love her casual jokes that would kind of go a little bit far. Like she would be like, oh, old people, they are totally worth it. They should just go ahead and die already. Am I right? <laughs> Am I right, guys? Oh. And they'd be like, no, Jane. We don't want every old person in the world to just die and go away. <laughs> like this is awful. She's just like a little vapid for everybody's yeah. taste. <laughs> Um, then they started to notice that things went missing around Jane and they suspected that she was stealing from the hospital. Jane. Jane was too slick and no one could ever catch her in the act. And maybe. What is she stealing? Uh, just like little things like money, uh, whatever, like medicines, like just like little things, Mm -hmm. you know, she's like a real pickpocket. And maybe the petty thievery was just kind of like a decoy crime to keep folks distracted while she was committing her real acts of violence in the dark. So we're not sure exactly when it all started, but at some point during her nursing career, Jane developed a keen interest in morphine. She was fascinated by its effects on the human body. And like a mad scientist, uh, she liked to watch her patients experience its effects. So, She often worked the night shift, and so in the middle of her shift, she would sneak into patients' rooms, inject them with morphine, and just watch. The patients would start to sweat, their breathing would become laborious, and then either the patient would convulse violently or they would slip into a coma. Jane loved it. But soon she wanted to experiment a little more, so she started to combine drugs, mainly something called atropine. Jane wanted to see, you know, more of the violent convulsions, and this seemed the best way to achieve that particular outcome. Patients would wretch their bodies, they'd claw at the air and babble incoherently. And Jane really loved that she could kind of play around with 
the dosages of each drug and just compare and contrast the effects. What ratio caused the most thrashing? Which caused the least? <laughs> what happens when I inject the patients with a syringe versus mixing the medicine into water and giving it to them orally? And then there was the occasional enema, but that's when she really had some time on her hands. And so wait, are the people dying each time? Or? Not every time. Okay, no. so then are they not reporting it or they don't know she did anything wrong? They don't realize because they're so out of it. Okay. But a lot of the times they are dying. So like most of them, but I don't think all of them. Wow. As, as far as I can tell. But obviously there's not like great records on this and they're often older people. And they didn't know so... why they died. They just thought they died. Yes. Okay. Um, but what Jane loved most was the end when she got to decide who lived and who died, who she revived and who she just let slip away because she had the power to revive them anytime mm. she wanted. And sometimes she would revive them and then do it again. And like the next day, like she loved just like playing God and toying with people's lives and like, you know, keeping them sedated for like a week at a time and just seeing like what she could do to them crazy um can somebody get her like a lab rat kit yeah. or something like <laughs> do this on not that that would be fine to do to toy with animals but my yeah. god yeah and if jane decided that they would die that night she would crawl under the sheets with the patient she would wrap her arms around them she would kiss their forehead and listen to their body as they slipped away one of the ways we know her method is because one of her victims uh, survived this horrifying encounter. So this woman was supposed to die because Jane, uh, I don't think that she crawled into the bed with the people that weren't going to die. Um, and then when she came to, she was like, I thought I was being crazy. I thought it was like a hallucination because like I saw her like give me the injection. And then she crawled into bed with me and like, all this like weird and Jane la later admitted to doing this. Um, but yeah, she was like, I thought that I was going crazy, but in an ironic twist, she ended up being fired from the hospital because of her lying and gossiping, <laughs> <laughs> not because she was killing patients. Wow. And from Cambridge hospital, she went on to Massachusetts general where she killed more patients and was fired again for stealing and lying and also being a little loosey goosey with the opiates. Mm. <laughs> so they knew she was like doing weird stuff with the drugs, but like they still didn't suspect that she was killing people. Mm. Cause again, these are people that are like, like, well, they're already in the hospital, so they're sick. So, like, it's not shocking that they're dying. And I feel like it's the time period where they're not, like, testing their blood exactly. to see what went wrong or doing autopsies. Yep. Like, it's too early for that. Yeah. But this setback of, you know, being fired from the these two big hospitals didn't bother Jane. She was just about done with the whole hospital scene anyways. She felt like she could make more of an impact with private nursing. So in 1892, Jane started her career as a well-respected in-home nurse. And it didn't take long for her to claim her first victim. It was an elderly man named Israel Dunham. He was 83 years old, and Jane was sick of him being old. As we mentioned earlier, <laughs> Jane was not a fan of old age. I don't know if it's because, like, her mother died tragically young or what, but, like, you know... She wasn't going to stand for it. So she killed. <laughs> I'm not going to stand for yeah. oldness. <laughs> so she killed him. And then a few years. And then she like moved in with his wife and became her private nurse. And then a couple of years later killed her as well. Uh, her name was Lovely Dunham, which is such a cute name. That really is cute. She was 87. <laughs> and she poisoned uh, both of them with the morphine and atropine. 
uh, because now she was, you know, just truly unsupervised in people's homes. <laughs> like, so who really knows all that she was doing to these people? I just feel like, won't you? I mean, I guess they're old, so but you can't get a bad rap for like every patient you have dies. Mm-hmm. But if you're an in-home nurse to an old pe- old couple, like, I guess eventually. In my mind, it's kind of like if she were like an in-home hospice nurse. Right. You know, and like when someone goes into hospice or whatever, like it's they're it's it's understood that they are dying right they're on their way they're on their way out so i feel like that's what people were kind of thinking like oh it's just her job to like be with people when they're older and like close to death so like it's not weird (laughs) what a good way to get away with murder i I know uh then i believe there was another elderly woman whose granddaughter had hired jane and she didn't last long before she died of natural causes Mm -hmm. quote unquote uh jane realized that this was the best way to go undetected her next victim, though, was a little bit closer to home. And meanwhile, she's also getting other jobs and not killing her patients. So, mm. like, she's peppering it in. It's not like every house she goes to. The people die. Yeah. It's not like, you remember we did the story about Typhoid Mary who yeah. was spreading typhoid at literally every house she went because she uh-huh. wouldn't wash her fucking hands. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not like that. This mm. is, like, some people she kills, some people she doesn't. And, like, she'll go, like, a while before she takes her next victim, you I know? if there's, like, an archetype that she was, like... People she was like really after other than them just being old. Yeah. She definitely hated old people. And then as we'll see, it kind of turned into like, oh God, well now they know too much. And like, (laughs) so now I have to kill them. (laughs) Jane. Um, So her next victim is someone she knows. So Jane always thought of herself as the poor little orphan girl. And when she thought of her youth, there was one person that always stood out from it. Her angel doppelganger, Elizabeth. Elizabeth was everything that Jane wasn't. She was loved. She was wealthy. She was now married with a family of her own. And even though Jane put on a good face when she would visit Elizabeth over the years, she obviously resented her a ton. Uh, And soon the resentment just became too much. And when Jane suggested that they should summer in Cape Cod this year, Elizabeth didn't think twice about it. She was like, absolutely. But this would not be a vacation all I ever wanted, vacation gotta get away situation. It was a cruel, cruel summer. Do we love those song references? Yeah, they were wonderful. (laughs) Jane poisoned Elizabeth slowly over the course of a few weeks just to draw it out and make Elizabeth really suffer. She claims that Elizabeth was the only one of her victims that she killed out of malice. But that's what made the whole process even more enjoyable for her. She said, I crawled into bed with her and watched with delight as she took her last breaths. And this is the thing that makes Jolly Jane so interesting to a lot of true crime people because she is viewed as the first female serial killer to kill for sexual pleasure. Hmm. So... You know, we think about like a bell gunness, like she was killing guys to get For their money. 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 Like, yeah. you know, like she was like a freaking millionaire by the end of it. You know, like there was always like, a, like I think about like Eileen Warnos who mm. like, you know, very different kind of killing situations. Um, but for Jane, like she even admits, she goes, oh yeah, I was definitely getting like sexual pleasure out of this whole situation. And that's usually seen as more of a male thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what makes her very unique is that uh, is her motive and the slow poison that's like yeah sharp objects type situation yes. that's crazy 
So after she murdered Elizabeth, she killed a few more patients, and then she moved in with the Davis family and became their private nurse. And she also serviced other folks in the area like she always does. You know, mm -hmm. people get to know her. They're like, oh, my gosh, Jane, you're so great. Like, my kid's sick. Can you come take a look at them? And she's like, absolutely. She makes them better, you know. Mm -hmm. And then, like, they're like, why don't you just take all the kids to the beach? And she's like, literally, hordes of children, taking them for a nice picnic on the beach. And nothing goes wrong. She's just like being like a weird fucked up mary Na poppins Nanny, like, <laughs> a, mur a murderous which who knows what mary poppins did that's in her all true time. She's that's crazy. true um but the good times never last too long for jane uh it doesn't take long for her to start telling her stories stealing little things being a little shady and now because she's in with the whole family she keeps borrowing money from them because she's like well i need more medical supplies i need more this i need more that like can i just borrow a little money just to get by you know and then she's also like staying in one of their rental properties and she's like can i miss on the you know rent this but aren't week? they paying her already they are <laughs> and she needs more she needs more it seems kind of selfish jane yeah um, it is said that she borrowed around $500, which is 15000 in today's money. Damn! <laughs> and obviously, like, things are getting a bit out of hand. So the matriarch of the family, Maddie Davis, went to her and was like, hey, like, would you mind, like, making some payments on, like, your debt? Maybe not skipping the rent payments anymore. Yeah. Maybe, like, giving us a little bit of our money back. Like, and Jane goes, oh, my gosh absolutely that's totally reasonable i understand i'm so sorry for the miscommunication but while we're chatting i'm it's so hot i'm so parched have a glass of water of course this water was laced with sedatives and it totally <laughs> knocked maddie out and jane took her up to the house laid her down in bed and continued her little game of morphine rest come to just a little bit then more morphine rest and just this whole awful cycle of near death and she kept her in that for an entire week whoa seven days but and yeah. like maddie probably doesn't know right she's never going to be cognizant enough to understand yeah like she's like coming to a little bit kind of realizing and then drifting back off so like she cannot do anything about communicate it. Right. with anyone and the entire family is just seeing jane do her job and they don't think anything's going on mm. um she's like guys i don't know what's going on with maddie she's so sick i'm just trying to help but of course maddie would never get better and again, she would never gain enough consciousness to tell her family the truth of what was going on. So she finally died on July 4th, 1901 at the age of 62. Damn. But just killing one member of the family didn't erase the massive debt she owed to them. So Jane was like, oh, I guess I got to kill the whole fucking family. <laughs> so just a few weeks later, she started with the youngest daughter, Genevieve. Genevieve was in her 30s, so she knew she couldn't pass off this uh, whole poisoning, you know, as old age. So she spread rumors around town that Genevieve seemed very suicidal after her mother's death. She'd be like, I caught Genevieve, like, holding the bottle of arsenic and looking at it with, like, a vague, vacant stare. I think that that girl is not right. And she was, like, starting to spread the rumors before she even killed her. Wow. That, like, she was going to commit suicide. So, obviously, she poisoned Genevieve and was like, oh, it was the arsenic. Told you. Know, you. Told you. Then she killed the father, Arlen, and then, finally, the eldest daughter, Minnie. And with that, her debt and the entire Davis family had been erased. Or so she thought. 
It turns out that someone had stopped by the house one day to check in on the family and had witnessed something strange. It was Minnie's father-in-law. He was checking up on the family because obviously like everyone had died and his daughter-in-law was the only one left. Um, So he kind of came into the house and he's looking around and obviously no one is there. So he goes up to Minnie's room and he just looks in and he sees Jane like with a syringe, like administering something to Minnie and like smiling. And he's like, I don't know if that's totally on the up and up. (laughs) It's like, I think something's weird. So he leaves the house. And then of course, shortly thereafter gets the news that Minnie has died. And so far he is like the only person in this goddamn town. Who's like, maybe it's the weird nurse (laughs) with like the very eager needle who has something to do with it. Like healthy people like that. Don't just drop off. Right. Like, that's crazy. This was, like, a relatively healthy family. Yes. And young. All young, healthy people. So he starts to ask local doctors, like, what could have caused this? Can you please do some investigating? This just, like, doesn't seem right. So he's kind of poking around, and Jane's like, all right, these people are dead. I think I got to get out mm-hmm. of town. So she decides, you know who might be in need of some company? Elizabeth's husband. <laughs> He's a widower. He's probably lonely. He's got money. Um, Yes, I think that I should go and seduce him. Almost like this weird, sick thing of like, I'm going to become Elizabeth. Taking her like life that she was jealous of. That's not okay. (laughs) But of course she, you know, goes in and she's like, I, she was like a sister to me. And like the least I can do is come in and offer my services to be your private nurse. And he's like, okay, whatever. So she comes in, she starts taking care of the family. And then she's like, you know what? I think that there are too many helpful ladies in this house because Mel, so this guy, Mel, he's the husband. Mm -hmm. It's Mel, his sister and their housekeeper. And she's like, you know, I think that in order to woo him, he's going to have to rely totally on me. So she kills the housekeeper. And then she's like, I'll also be your housekeeper so you can see how good I am at doing the laundry, cooking the food. Like, I'm the best wife you could ever ask for. And then Mel's sister, Edna, is like, that's fucking weird. Like, that housekeeper was super healthy before Jane got here. So she starts to question things a little bit. And Jane's like... Well, now I got to get rid of her. She's fucking asking too many questions. So she poisons the sister. Okay. The way to get away with murder is to not (laughs) murder people you know. I know. This is not a good thing she's doing. So now that everyone is out of the way, she's like, it's time to really get my claws in this man. And she starts to put the moves on him. And she's like, I think we should be together. And he goes, no, thank you. (laughs) Number one, I'm just simply not interested in you. And number two, my whole family has just died. And I'm really not in the mood to, like, take another wife. Like, I'm really going through something here, Jane. (laughs) This is, like, a big issue. Not now. (laughs) (laughs) So Jane's like, room, Jane. (laughs) (laughs) So Jane is like, okay, well, if he's not going to fuck me, then I guess I just... I I don't mean anything to him, so I'm going to make him suffer. And so she starts to, like, lightly poison him just to, like, get him in a weakened state and to be like, don't you need me? Don't you need me? You're sick. Yes, like you need me. Yes, you want to be with growing me. Growing up. Yeah, usually that yeah, poison Yeah, he's, does. like, sick and, like, you know, he's not doing well. He's got these, like, fluish symptoms, you know. And then 
so she kind of realizes that he's really never going to come around. So then she's like, look, marry me or I'll tell everyone in town that I'm pregnant and you're the father. And he just goes, Jane, get the fuck out of my house. (laughs) (laughs) This is the only person in the whole story with some balls. I know. She goes, Jane, get out of here. And she's like, after all I've done for you and you're going to treat me like this. Well, you better wait and see what happens. And so she fakes a suicide attempt by giving herself enough morphine so that she kind of passes out, but then comes to very dramatic, you know, and obviously Jane has had quite a bit of experience with morphine. So like she knows exactly how much would actually do the job. She's a nurse. She, she, She's done so many experiments on this. She knows the exact amount that she wants to like, you know, kind of fake it and like Mm -hmm. be really dramatic. So next page. (laughs) (laughs) The way it played out in her mind was that he would come in, see her, be like, oh my gosh, she tried to kill herself. I feel terrible. He would revive her and just feel so bad and be like, you know what? I never meant to hurt you. Let's get married. Right. Because that's so attractive. Yes. But now, (laughs) but in in reality, he goes, okay, now I know you're crazy. And he starts to like talk to authorities about maybe looking into this woman who is obviously not okay. Meanwhile, back at the Davis household, the father-in-law is getting his way. And he goes, you need to exhume the body of my daughter-in-law mm-hmm. and check for poison because I don't trust that woman. So they're starting to exhume the bodies of the Davis family while he's like, <laughs> Mel is like, crazy. this woman's wild. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they discover that Minnie had indeed been poisoned. So on October 29th, 1901, Jane Toppin was finally arrested acting perfectly calm while they hauled her away. But the problem was they didn't have any hard proof quite yet, just a lot of circumstantial evidence, Hmm. which even now is hard to convict somebody with. yeah, very hard. And the other problem was they were actually barking up the wrong poison tree for a while. They assumed that Jane was poisoning her victims with arsenic because that was the typical way. Mm -hmm. That was the way most women, if you're going to kill someone, or most people, they would choose arsenic. But she didn't have any arsenic, and they couldn't find any proof that she had ever purchased any. Like, everyone around was like, no, Jane has never bought that. Like, she didn't have any in her possession, not a Mm -hmm. lick of it found anywhere. But of course, no other poison. Yeah, no. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Good job, law enforcement. (laughs) But of course, this little hiccup did not stop the press from running with the news of this crazy female killer. Meanwhile, Jane is sitting in jail, maintaining her innocence, and she is even being visited by former patients, the ones she didn't kill, who all say, Jane, I will defend you till the end. You are the nicest nurse I ever had. I cannot believe they are accusing you of these crimes. Isn't that the way of it, though? And anytime she appeared in public or in court, you know, she'd always wear her best-pressed nurse's uniform to remind them that she wasn't an angel of death. She was just a regular little old angel. (laughs) But soon the medical examiners had a breakthrough. They said, oh, my God, it wasn't arsenic that killed Minnie. It was a combination of morphine and atropine. And when they started to investigate whether Jane had bought either of those drugs, (laughs) plenty of witnesses were like, oh, yes, she buys it in bulk. (laughs) (laughs) She's going to Costco (laughs) for atropine. 
morphine and morphine. So with this information, she was officially charged with the murders of the two Davis daughters and Alden Davis. But before her official trial commenced, they sent in a psychiatrist to examine her because they're like, a woman who just straight up murders three people has got to be insane. So she's chatting with them, talking about how innocent she is. She goes, look, it couldn't be me. I don't even like corpses. <laughs> like, That's a really flimsy defense. Right. <laughs> Bold. But then something shifted. Maybe she knew the jig was up and she was going to be convicted anyway. So she wanted credit. I really don't know why she made this change, but she started confessing. She talked about the 12 people she killed. Uh, and then when she was talking to her defense lawyer, she goes, mm, it's probably more like 31. <laughs> uh, and obviously, before that, she was killing lots of people. So some people think it was like over 100. Oh, my God. But yeah, I mean, because I, this is only the 31 is just her private patients when she's been right. a private. Nurse. This isn't like the hospital when she's experimenting no. with morphine. No. Woo! The doctor said she was calm. She showed no remorse and even referred to these people as her friends. She even admitted to the whole crawling in bed with them and holding them while they died thing. The only thing she was like a little fuzzy on was the exact details of each poisoning. And it all started to kind of blend together because she said, well, Poisoning was just a habit at this point. <laughs> <laughs> a real bad habit, yeah. I would say. <laughs> but one thing was for certain. Every time the deed was done, she felt a great relief, and she always slept well. It was clear once she was finished that the papers had been wrong. Her motive was not money or power. It was clearly sexual pleasure. The doctors declared her officially insane, <laughs> to which Jane was like, no, I'm not. I am an intelligent, professional woman who is, I mean, come on. I mean, would an insane woman be writing a romance novel in prison? I don't think so. Well, Which, by the <laughs> way, she was. Um, that's, that's what I want to get my hands on. That's what I want to read. <laughs> so her trial began with much fanfare and anticipation on June 23rd, 1903. Some women even camped out on the grounds of the courthouse to make sure they got good seats. But why true crime now? Um, after all... <laughs> this trial was like people were saying like they're like this is going to be like a one and done trial like this is going to be one day so like you know get in while you can mm -hmm. see the lady herself um because the question was not did she do it or even why but it was is she insane should she go to jail or should she go to a hospital jane was in good spirits that day Apparently, she had a good breakfast, and she announced that she'd even picked the title of the romance novel she had been working on. <laughs> it was going to be called Sweet Blue Eyes. Okay. And when she appeared in court, gone was the nurse's uniform. This time, she donned a black hat with a veil and a white <laughs> ribbon tied around her throat. Shut up. Eight hours later, Jane Toppin was officially declared not guilty by reason of insanity and the judge sentenced her to life in the Taunton Insane Hospital. Jane laughed when she heard the sentence. <laughs> okay. That's the number one indicator <laughs> that you're insane. When interviewed in papers, Jane maintained that she had wanted them to say that she was insane. She goes, of course, every sane person would say I'm not insane because that makes them think that you're insane. She goes, I know what I'm doing. I'm not an idiot. I feel like <laughs> ah! 
insane asylums back then were like worse than oh, prisons. Yes, because if there's any thinking that like the insane hospital was a better place than prison, that is very incorrect. Like people were treated like animals and like electric shock therapy and like Awful. they were given moldy food remember Nellie Bly did that uh-huh. and they were just giving the insane people moldy food yeah that's crazy Awful. you know which was obviously not what most of the people in there deserved um no but for Jane it was probably a fitting punishment <laughs> so even if she was of relatively sound mind you know if we can call it that when she entered the asylum letters to friends got more and more strange and erratic at the as the years went on at first, she was like, I'm having an awesome time. You know, I'm doing well. Everything's good. And then she'd be like, yeah, I'm having such a good time. I'm rolling on the floor with laughter. <laughs> she was really going for Just, it. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that Jane Toppin came up with <laughs> ROFL. <laughs> Listen, she's the first. She's the first. She was signing her letters with Lilas. she's having such a great time. <laughs> But then she started not to have such a good time, and she was convinced that she was being poisoned in the hospital because that's what she would have been doing if she were taking care of her. Right, of course. So she stopped eating. She became emaciated and sickly, and this is how Jane would spend the rest of her life, oh my which, gosh. unfortunately for Jane, was quite some time. <laughs> she entered the asylum at the age of 49 and lived until the ripe old age of 84. No! Jane died there August 22nd, 1958. She was in there for four decades? <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, she deserved it. Yeah, she did. She Absolutely. I just, that's so long. Yeah. I mean, she didn't even serve a year for, like, every person she killed when you think about it in okay, that yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't yeah, that yeah, crazy? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll never know exactly how many victims there were of Jolly Jane, but we know that she was convicted of three, confessed to 12, and then 31. <laughs> but some people put her numbers in the hundreds because of how long she was operating and how many patients she was treating. <laughs> That's the story of Jane Thomas. That's crazy. What a nutcase. I know. What does that even mean? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Absolutely wild stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, that's Jane. <laughs> wow. Jane, come on. An asshole, <laughs> right? Yeah, Is terrible that the best person. way to describe her? Yes, terrible, terrible person. <laughs> I can't believe um, that. Wow. I, I didn't know anything about her. Yeah. Very interesting story. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, all right. Well, let's get another cocktail. Let's do it. Some, it's time. Do you want to know what you're drinking? We're back, everybody. Hi. I won't. Okay. I'll only include the, it's infuriating. (laughs) That's what I'll include. Perfect. All right. And you guys will never know. You'll never know. We're back. Part two. A really cute drink. Maybe the best garnish we've ever had. I did a really nice job with this lemon peel. (laughs) I was really into it. I'm Um, impressed. Okay. So this drink is called the, can't touch this. (laughs) (laughs) So many songs. Tonight. I love it. Really good. We have to sing it though somehow on Instagram. I'll put a little music note next to it. Have a time. <laughs> I love that your daughter recently was okay. like, why would anyone ever think parachute pants are cool? And I was like, you are going to rue the day that you said that because there are going to be things that you look back on now are going to be like, why did I ever do that? So shut up. Keep your mouth to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. Okay, so in here we have gin. Uh, which is like the main liquor, but then there is absinthe and blue curacao, just like a little mm. bit of each, and that gives it like mm-hmm. a. I didn't want it to be as green as absinthe because her she has kind of like that muted like green mm. in her outfit. A little bit of simple syrup, half and half, and you have to shake vigorously, yes. <laughs> otherwise it will curdle. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and then there is uh, like a lemon peel like sliced and put on a little cocktail uh poker. You zigzag I zigzag this it. looks like Harry Potter's scar. <laughs> it's, it's the so lightning good. bolt. Cheers. Cheers. That is an interesting drink. It is like <laughs> the absinthe is coming through very strong, but it's like a creamy drink. So it's like that's very it's interesting. Creamy cocktail creamy absinthe weird i'm yeah <laughs> i don't think we've ever had absinthe in this kind of creamy cocktail before yeah, so it's but it doesn't very... taste like too strong i thought the gin might be a little crazy with the oh, blue no. curacao and stuff that's nice yeah it is it's very refreshing like yeah. it kind of reminds me of a grasshopper almost yeah it is yes. a lot like that because mm-hmm. it's also green so, yes <laughs> so it's like an anise grasshopper it's yeah delightful Okay, miss, mm. tell me what you know about Rogue. Okay, Rogue was always my favorite. Yeah, she's the best. And I think it's because, who is it, Anna Paquin played yeah. her. In, in like, the movies. In the movies when I was, like, coming up, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, I just always loved that the movie opens on her. Well, we're going to talk about that. Oh, good. <laughs> good. Okay, but later. And I always thought it was just so tragic that, like, she literally couldn't get close to people. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So and sad. that, like... It was interesting seeing a character who, like, has this power, but it's also, like, her greatest weakness. Right. And I just loved the idea of that. I thought she was very cool. She had, she, you know, like, you also connect with the characters that look like you. You Mm -hmm. know, she's, like, white teenage girl with brown hair. And, like, that's what I was. Uh So I was like, she's me. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. And I love the gray strip in her hair. And I just thought she looked so cool. And, like, I don't, and I, I don't know. And I know that, so I know that I loved her. I know that she has the power of, like, she kind of drains people's energies, I feel like, with her hands. Mm -hmm. Um, And she can accidentally kill people. I think she has, like, a romance with Wolverine. It was either a romance or, like, a mentor-mentee relationship. Mm -hmm. I couldn't – I don't know if it changes depending on what version you're in. But, but yeah, but that's what I know about Rogue. (laughs) Rogue is so fun. She is one of the best and most famous X-Men, even though she, like, wasn't necessarily originally an X-Man. Um, and I just, I can't wait to dive into this. We've talked about a lot of different ex-friends on this yeah. show mm-hmm. and been able to dive into the background. And if you listened to our storm episode, I think Katie did that one. It was a long time ago, but it was the first ex person that we did. Yes. And Katie described how, um, Marvel's Stanley and gang were really having problems getting X-Men off the ground or to gain any traction because much like the Avengers and the Fantastic Four, which are other Marvel superheroes, it's just like a group of white guys with an occasional woman or like occasional like sidekick type character. Mm -hmm. So nobody really wanted to read the X-Men because they already had that in spades. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when X-Men was about to be permanently discontinued, Stan Lee is like, okay, 
one last chance. <laughs> Does anybody want to take this on? And for, lucky for Stan Lee, somebody did. And that really changed superheroes forever. Because while Professor X and Cyclops are still the leaders and they're two white guys, all of a sudden we were inclusive of all these other superheroes. There were people from Africa and Russia and the Caribbean and Asia and Canada and Australia and Germany. And it's just like, it became this like incredible hodgepodge of people, which I think expanded the world. Oh, I totally, I always forget that Wolverine is Canadian. Yeah. I love that. Excuse me, Hugh. (laughs) Canadian. Canadians also matter. (laughs) And we know that and we love you. And I'd love to go one day, but my husband's not allowed. (laughs) Damn it. Isn't that upsetting? I know. I know. So if anyone can sponsor him (laughs) to get into Canada. I just, so it's crazy to me that like so many of the characters were like Captain America and it's like why are all the superheroes based in the United States so Uh it was really nice to have these like superheroes that are from other countries it made it more rich the idea that other people in other places have powers yeah let me tell you that was one of the most fascinating things when I did Storm's story Mm -hmm. and realized that her story was so rooted in like international themes like that was really cool and interesting and so many of them are especially because Mm -hmm. like the x-men is um it's not like the others that were coming out of a post-world war ii world Mm -hmm. this is a firmly rooted cold war society where we're big in like intercommunication with all these other countries so it Mm -hmm. just made so much more sense for the time period yeah so Rogue herself was first slated to appear in the Miss Marvel comic number 25. And the artwork for that comic had actually been halfway finished in 1979. But the Miss Marvel comic was just not picking up as many readers as it had in the past. And it was abruptly canceled. So Rogue kind of went on the back burner for a while. It's two years later when she appears in 1981 in an Avengers comic book. So first she's Miss Marvel, then she's popping up in Avengers, and it's Hmm. Avengers Annual number 10. And we're going to soon learn that she was a bad guy (gasps) when she started in her background. In fact, it was not until 1992 that Rogue absorbed the powers that we are so used to seeing her with today. Um, and like I said, although Rogue was not a super early X person per se, she is one of the most popular and was actually voted the favorite of <gasps> all the X-Men, all of them all together. Very cool. She's so famous. Mm. I will also say, no matter what the comics say, and no matter what the Hugh Jackman movies say, <laughs> Rogue, to me, will forever, because I'm about, I'm I'm, what, seven years older than you. Mm -hmm. So for me, the early 90s, I think the year you were born. You were born 92, 93. Okay, so in 1992, one of my favorite cartoons was out every Saturday morning, X-Men the Animated Series. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I love that cartoon with a full passion. I would run around in my yard and pretend to be rogue. Mm -hmm. I thought it was so good. She was um, voiced by uh, Lenore Zan, and I just thought it was great because she is um, Rogue is a woman from Mississippi, and she would just say the craziest things. <laughs> I loved her southern 
like okay my favorite thing she ever said i pulled the clip up i <laughs> i had to find the clip because it's my favorite rogue clip cyclops is like being a little crazy and she goes you look nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocket chairs <laughs> i thought that was so that took me a minute to like understand i know and she would say <laughs> shit like that all the time okay wait all right ready? get ready all right So I love that like husky yeah. voice. See, I will forever great associate voice. Rogue with that voice. And I just adored yeah. her. And I one time like Storm was giving like a long <laughs> monologue and she just goes, Lighten up on the speech of sugar. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm obsessed oh with my that. Gosh. I will also say because that was the rogue that I kind of inspired my costume yes, after. That's her. And I was also Jubilee one year. Yes. You were you really X'd it up. I X'd it up <laughs> all over the place. And nobody knew who I was when I was Jubilee except for one guy that Greg brought to the party. <laughs> and he goes, hey, I know who you are. You're Jubilee. And I said, wow, yes, yeah, I, yeah, am. I am. That's Thank exactly you. what's going on. And he goes, it's good. Like, <laughs> it's good. Thank That's you. Good cosplay, Katie. <laughs> yeah, so I just wanted to bring that up because I don't think that animated series gets enough play in the I world agree. of X-Men, of superheroes in general. It's so yes. good. It's so good. Yes. Okay. Totally agree. All right. <laughs> her backstory, though, her name, where she came from, all that was only hinted at for a really long time. She was an X-Man for two decades before any of that existed. Mm. So here it goes. We're gonna, I'm going to drop you into her background. We're going chronologically here, even okay. though it didn't happen in the comics chronologically. Owen and Priscilla are the names of her parents. She did not have a last name, although in the movies, like in the credits, she gets a last name of in the actual movies. And at some point, one of the creators made her last name Rogue, but I think Anna Marie Ro or Rose. Um, and I think Anna Marie Rose is just too wild. So <laughs> she doesn't have a last name. <laughs> Her parents got married really, really early in their relationship and move into a naturalistic hippie commune in Mississippi. So this is the life that Anna Marie is born into. She also enjoyed the attention of her aunt Carrie, who was also there, her mother's sister. Um, and the commune dabbled in Native American mysticism and they were trying to reach the far banks, which is like this heaven-ish like huh. Native American heaven type place okay. but there's this strange ritual that goes wrong and her mother disappears <gasps> rogue's mom what? gone she's pretty young so her aunt takes over her care and in the grief of losing her sister is like this really strict authoritarian guardian so it's like her dad can't function aunt is stepping in mom gone does this sound familiar mm -hmm. <laughs> this is crazy as most children with strict parents do Anna Marie starts to rebel and her father um starts to like kind of put more pressure on her and her aunt this is when Rogue gains her nickname because she was literally running away from home or going rogue. At some I point, yeah, I know. At some point in Rogue's teen years, she grows close to a boy named Cody Robbins, which I hate that he has a last name and not her. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why Cody Robbins? <laughs> you know, it's so funny is uh, I used to, there's a podcast on for a while that was all about rom-coms and like, they were like, if you, as a rom-com, can't even give your main characters last names, like, that is so disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> 
so ridiculous that there are movies out there where the main characters don't have a last name. Sex and the City couldn't give their main character a first name. It was just big. Big. <laughs> What's his name? Oh, okay. John Preston. Yeah, now Obviously. we know. Now we know. <laughs> um, so... She grows close to this boy, Cody, and during their flirt- flirtation in her teen years, Rogue impulsively kisses Cody, and at this point, her very latent mutant powers emerge. Oh, no. Rogue has the ability to absorb the life, energy, and psyche of others with skin-to-skin contact. Cody was left in a coma from which he would not wake up. <gasps> This, of course, traumatizes her. It's like her first kiss. The whole neighborhood is after her. It's like a witch hunt type situation. We know mutants already aren't going well. Most people's powers are latent until their teen years. Um, Her family wants to disown her. Like, she's got to be on the run. So she runs away, like, officially this time. Just in the interest of discussing her powers, she started wearing fully covering clothing to eliminate the chance of her touching someone. Depending on how long she touched someone was how much she would take from them. And if that person was left a vegetable, then it is in the comic books, she would have absorbed their consciousness too. So all their memories, all their thoughts, all of that, which becomes really hard for her because it's going to cause a lot of mental breakdowns (sighs) in the future comics because she is containing all their residual memories. That's like that vampire from Twilight. Yeah. Who's in the Volturi. Yeah. He can think everything all the time. (laughs) You've got to know who the Volturi are. (laughs) (laughs) If you're going to ride with me, you've got to know who the Volturi are. That was going so well for so long. (laughs) I didn't think I was going to make it to the end, and I did. It was beautiful. (laughs) It's on my top ten played on Spotify this year. Stephanie Meyer, get on it. I think she quit writing. (laughs) I think we all scared her away. Gosh, I would too. I'd be like, I'm a millionaire now. (laughs) I don't want any part of this. I don't want to do anything ever again. Especially since Robert Pattinson just shit talks her constantly. (laughs) Her books are shitty. The movies are shitty. (laughs) I want him to just wash his hair and go away. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I want from Robert. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Delightful. <laughs> I reread that series like you reread. I know, Court, I, know you do. I know you do. Always skipping number two, though. <laughs> so depressing. So depressing. I can't flip those pages where it's just names of months. I'm like, this isn't my planner. Excuse me? <laughs> I have things to do in October. Okay. <laughs> Not long after she runs away from the commune, Rogue is approached by Mystique. Hmm. Who sought her out after Rogue's partner in crime and possibly partner in love, Destiny, foresaw it. So Mystique and Destiny take Rogue in to kind of raise as their daughter for like the rest of her teenage years. Mystique turned Rogue's loneliness and envy and bitterness into anger. She's teaching her, you're always going to be abused as a mutant. No one's ever going to trust you. You have to fight for yourself. And I mean, in essence, be a bad guy. These are the only mutants that she knows are mystique and destiny. This is where we meet Rogue in the comics. Um, before her backstory is ever, ever built. 
she is fighting with the brotherhood of evil mutants against the good guys, including the X-Men and the Avengers. She's in comic books fighting them. And she is a devastating enemy to all of them because if she can get close enough to touch you, not only can she suck your energy out, but she can take your ability. So if you can fly, she can fly. If you can shoot lasers out of your eyes, she can shoot lasers out of her eyes. Like, it was like an end-all, be-all to any yeah. any other, you know, opponent. Yeah. Her she's, first? Yeah. She's like the pinch hitter. Right. Exactly. She's like, I, I, yeah, I'm coming in hot, and I'm going to destroy you. With with you. I'm yeah. destroying with you, you with you. <laughs> it's crazy. I'm sure pinch hitter is not the correct no, term. No, that was right. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. But... Pinch hitter. Pinch, pinch, pitcher, pinch hitter. Sure. Yep. All of it. Uh-huh. So... Um, her first mission with the bad guys was an encounter with Carol Danvers, better known as Miss Marvel. They fight, and through prolonged contact, Rogue absorbs Miss Marvel's alien-based powers and her memory. So the reason Rogue can fly, the reason Rogue is so powerful, is because Miss Marvel is like the most powerful superhero. Yeah. We see that in Avengers Endgame. She just comes in and shuts everybody down. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really what is going on. So... Um, Rogue puts Carol Danvers out for a bit, but Rogue also has all of her memories because she puts Miss Marmol in like a coma. Um, and then Mystique orders her to go and fight the Avengers. She attacks their headquarters. She gets some Captain America powers, some Thor powers, but she is eventually forced to retreat. And then Rogue and Mystique go and attack the Pentagon and they fight Storm and Wolverine. And again, she's absorbing their powers. But Storm, because she can fight from far away, blows her away with a cyclone. But over time, working with the bad guys, Rogue begins to suffer more acutely from all these memories she has in her head. And who is good at sorting out things in your head when you're desperate? Ah, Professor Xavier! (laughs) Of course, she's going to go and seek him out and try to get his help. And, of course, he's going to welcome her because he's the most. Uh Like, honestly... He lets her into the school for gifted youngsters, even though she professionally fought against them as a professional bad guy. The other X-Men, not down for this. They are fighting with Professor X over it. He's giving her a physical. He invites her to live there permanently. The rest of the team is threatening to leave if he chooses to let her stay. And he's like, "Um, remind me of our mission statement, guys. (laughs) Let us in. But they, at the beginning, keep permanent tabs on her. Everywhere she goes, they all go. I think at one point, Wolverine is engaged to somebody in Japan. So um, they go over there, and this is not a long-lived engagement by any means. But Rogue saves his fiance's life and earns Wolverine's respect. And Wolverine is like Raphael from the Ninja Turtles. He's kind of like a little punky, a Mm -hmm. little bit like whatever. So... Once he starts to respect her, kind of the other people start to kind of be like, okay, like we can get down with this rogue thing. But Mystique thought that she had been captured by Professor X. So she's coming in trying to save her daughter, like in her mind, her daughter's life. And Rogue has to confront her mother and be like, I chose to come here, which is like really heartbreaking. The whole thing. Um, unfortunately, at about this time, Carol Danvers, part of Rogue's brain, takes control and um, she goes and starts doing all this like crazy stuff. And there's a few 
like comic books right in a row where she's dressing in Miss Marvel's outfit and like Rogue redecorates her whole apartment <laughs> and just is Miss Marvel. Weird. It's very weird. Fans hated this. Okay. They were like, she cannot be the next Miss Marvel. We yeah. don't want that at all. <laughs> so eventually, like, uh, Rogue feels really guilty for what she's doing with all these Carol Danver powers and gives the powers somehow back to Carol Danvers. And she's not Miss Marvel, but Miss Marvel okay. returns. We have a comic book again. So as an X-Man, they break into two squads and she is in the blue team, which includes the leader Cyclops and then Gambit. Mm. Gambit <laughs> is quite a flirt. And being from the Caribbean and her from the Bayou, they both have very similar accents. They mm -hmm. know a little bit of French. They have very similar like ways about them. Mm -hmm. Uh, he is a ladies man, but Rogue immediately catches his eye and they begin a very long, very difficult on again, <laughs> on again relationship because of the fact that she cannot physically touch anyone. Um, and you know, their relationship is obviously going to grow very slowly because they're both also involved with several other people throughout <laughs> the years. Um, this is where some serious like ex baggage drama comes into play gambit has a really vengeful ex-wife apparently he was married before he was a full x-men and he flirts with literally everyone <laughs> and rogue has a comatose teenage boyfriend she yeah. feels really really guilty about um so she still visits cody in the hospital like oh on and gosh. off again because of the guilt and gambit's ex-wife finds out about this and goes and kidnaps cody <gasps> like abducts him from what? the hospital and then he dies psychotic yeah after going and just taking him from the hospital when he's just on a machine trying oh to breathe my gosh. which is terrible we also find out that Nightcrawler is Mystique's actual child. Ooh. So Rogue and Nightcrawler begin to treat each other like siblings. Uh -huh. So that's kind of cute. That's nice. Um, her and Gambit, like I said, are on again, off again for years. There's some point where we think Cyclops is dead. I don't know why. I didn't look into it. Storms out on business, probably marrying Black Panther somewhere. <laughs> and Rogue becomes the commander of the X-Men. She's in charge wow. for a while and at several points throughout the comic book. Um, and she just became so powerful in the comics because the writers can do whatever they want. Mm -hmm. If they want her to be a person who can recall all of her old powers, then she can. Yeah. But maybe just one at a time or maybe all of them. <laughs> maybe she's going crazy because of multiple personalities. Maybe she's perfectly sane. Or she's maybe like both. a blank slate. Yes. That's a, a blank slate <laughs> oh character. That's the literal words I wrote. She's a blank slate, which is a dream, but also a curse. Yeah. Because, like, where do you go with her that the readers are going to be fine with it without, like, making her story yeah. not make sense? Uh-huh. As the leader, she's fighting all these crazy battles and her and Gambit, she like jumps in front of Gambit to try to save his life and they get stabbed through the middle with like this big spear thing. She obviously has Wolverine's powers so she can heal really quickly, but um. that's not true of Gambit. He's kind of down for the count for a minute. She defeats the bad guy and then her and Jean Grey come back and like bring Gambit back from the brink of life. Mm -hmm. Destiny, though, her other mom, dies um, at this time, and she, Rogue, inherits all of Destiny's stuff. A mansion in New Orleans, Whoa. a ton of money, and Rogue just donates it all to help build another school oh, for the kids and a new headquarters. And her and Gambit, they walk 
they walk from the X-Men like all together. She had emerged from this most recent battle, kind of bringing him back to life with no powers. She emerges with no powers. She's now powerless somehow. And she wants to explore her relationship with Gambit. They live, this is a terrible, like, offshoot storyline. They live in a beach town together where humans and mutants live peacefully. <laughs> she works as a motorcycle mechanic <laughs> while Gambit is out fighting with Storm and she has no powers. Okay. This is not, like, my ideal. No. I don't know. I'm happy, like, for her, I right. guess. But, like, <laughs> it's hard to see, like, someone who is so powerful then just be, like, no, I'm because also, you know, that it's people writing this onto someone. Yes. So it's like, again, this is a blank slate character. Like we said, you could do anything in the world and you're choosing to just like have her do basically nothing. Yeah. I don't understand why maybe her powers could have just changed a little bit. Remember, like Jean Grey used to pass out a lot because the it was hard for her to like do telepathy, but then she got a hold of it. Like, why yeah. can't she just figure out how to hold? Why aren't we training her to hold her powers back when yep. she doesn't want to hurt somebody? Like, mm -hmm. I don't understand what, where's rogues training? Yeah. Somebody explain to me, why aren't we doing that? Yeah. <laughs> she like could use some help. Like, why can't they create, like, a skin suit that also goes over, like, her face and her lips that, right. like, can protect Gambit? Like, yeah. I don't understand why there's literally nothing that can be done to help I mean, her. Cyclops' laser eyes can cut through steel, and they yeah. put, like, sunglasses on him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't understand it. Like, they're not trying. No. They're not trying. Because no. it's too interesting. It's too interesting to have a woman you can't touch. Yeah. Is what I think the root of it is. Mm -hmm. And I loved her for that. I was always mm -hmm. so jealous of her. I was always <laughs> like, that's the power that I want. <sighs> okay. So because everybody hates this so damn much, <laughs> her powers do slowly start to come back through the comic books. And she and Gambit are together, but now they're really going through it because they, like, can't touch each other again. And in a fight, a verbal altercation they have, he says to her that if it wasn't for her weird powers, they would have just been a one night stand anyway. Oh, because he's like interested oh, in her. Terrible. Yeah, that's a really mean thing to say, Gambit. No one likes that. No. And in all of those emotions flying, her and Wolverine make out because she can kiss him for longer because he has the power of healing. Oh. So it's like he can like heal himself kind of like, wow, this is happening. So you are right. I always thought that her and Wolverine had a flame and they do in mm -hmm. the comic books for a while. And I think in the um, cartoon, they show her both in cahoots with Gambit and Wolverine. Yeah. But like Gambit's not really in the movies no, later he is on. Not so I think that's also why like, you know, he's not really in my memory. As yeah. Much. And I think in the movies they, because of the age difference, they made it more like an unrequited love yeah. type thing where like, mm -hmm. she's really crushing on him, but he's like, I'm a full grown Hugh Jackman. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. But Rogue and Gambit are really working on it. They even get a telepathic mutant relationship counselor, which is super healthy. Wow. Good for you. Okay. Um, but something crazy happens. Mystique is pissed that Rogue and Gambit are together. So she transforms into this young mutant girl and tries to seduce Gambit. And, of course, he is like, no, that's fucking crazy. And then Mystique turns into herself and looks at Gambit and then turns into Rogue and is like, I can offer you a Rogue that you can be physical <gasps> with. Oh. Rude. 
We don't see what happens on the page, but he later denies ever having slept with her. But he also failed to tell Rogue that Mystique was there, which is a lie by omission. Like, you should know that your mother is there being crazy or your, like, adopted mother. Um, so anyway, they break up after that for like a long spell because things are crazy. Okay. I'm stopping full length story here and I'm just going to list 12 crazy fucking (laughs) storylines because I was like, this is because this and then a gap and then I'll get us to the end. Okay. So here's some random shit. One, there's that M gene situation where the M gene is there trying to mix rogue's blood with something to make everybody mutants because her blood can like take other mutant things. Anyway. That whole shit happens and um, Gambit loses his mind and tries to kill Rogue and then like runs away from the X-Men. Okay. So that's thing one. That's crazy. Thing two, Rogue has to fight back against Mystique and Mystique sends like millions of dead consciousnesses into her brain. Ooh, and like terrible. Yeah. Rogue goes crazy for a bit. Um, th- that's number two. Number three, Rogue gets pissed and absorbs Mystique. But now she has mystique brain, and that's not good to have a bad guy in your head. Four, Rogue takes time off from the X-Men to drive around Australia on a motorcycle. (laughs) That's fun. Okay. (laughs) Five, Professor X goes into her brain to get rid of all the crazy people and takes away the side effects of her power. Oh. So good job, Professor X. Six, Rogue kisses Gambit at some point. Seven, Rogue fights with Carol Danvers again because they just can't get along. I don't know why they're both (laughs) on the good guy side. Eight, Rogue absorbs a whole bunch of other important people. Nine, Rogue finds her disappeared mother on that crazy faraway (sighs) island so that she can say goodbye to her. 10 Cody comes back in some weird dream to forgive her and say it was an accident when you like touched my face (laughs) 11 rogue uh, was killed and resurrected by the grim reaper and 12 rogue punches the scarlet witch in the face oh okay so we've really done it wow she's really made it around so those are all the stories i skipped if you're a rogue aficionado (laughs) i don't give a shit about any of those storylines at all perfect So most recently, Rogue and Gambit are in this kind of on-again, off-again relationship. They're both mutants. They're doing well. Um, But they're both, like, having sex with other mutants in the meantime. I think, like, Rogue has a relationship with Magneto, which is gross and weird because he's, like, a super bad guy. Super old, older than her. Super old. And they sleep together. Mm. Yeah, crazy. But ultimately... Rogue is into education. That's her thing. She is the leader. She's the leader of the school. She's the leader of the X-Men. And she actually goes to New York to establish the Jean Grey School of Higher Education. Like, named after her boo. And, like, she only fights if people show up at the school after the kids. Mm -hmm. Following all of this Avenger crazy nonsense, She's leading the X-Men with Kitty Pride, which Kitty Pride's the one that walked through walls. Uh-huh. Super famous. And um, Kitty Pride is supposed to get married to Colossus, but they call that shit off last minute, and Gambit is standing there, and he's like, I'm just going to propose to Rogue. <gasps> so he proposes, and then they get married instead of Kitty Pride and Colossus, and the maid of honor is Nightcrawler, and the best man is Storm. Wait. Nightcrawler's a girl? No. Wait. But that's like her maid oh of honor my is Nightcrawler <gasps> and um Gambit's 
um, best man is Storm. I love that. It's so cute. Oh my gosh. That's they have so their little mishmash wedding. <laughs> um, and they have to go on some sort of mission on their honeymoon. Anyway, <laughs> of course, the rogue relevance. She is one of the best and most well-known X-Men. She's immediately recognizable. Mm-hmm. And she also has a really fun, loving personality, yeah. which is what's great for her. And like I said at the beginning, she's a fan favorite. Here's the problem. Chris Lamont was the or Chris Claremont was the original writer and creator. And he was at Marvel for over 20 years and he was famous for writing interesting, deep female characters. Mm -hmm. But after he left, nobody Mm. knew what to do with Rogue. Superheroes are supposed to get cooler and better and she could have any power she wanted. And if you weren't doing that, she was just having mental breakdowns from having too many memories. And that's Jean Grey's thing. (laughs) (laughs) You can't do that. But in the 2000s, Marvel narrowly escapes bankruptcy by selling off a lot of movie rights and getting some profit from them because, hey, guess what? Superhero movies can actually be good. Yeah. So in the movies, they need an entry point. And they choose Rogue as the entry point because they know she's everybody's favorite. We enter into Rogue in her teenage years in her parents' house after kind of having made a boy pass out. And she Mm kind of like runs away um, like from her parents because they're fighting about her in the living room. And it's Mm -hmm. like really sad for her. Um, And we get to live the first movie through Rogue. Mm -hmm. We get to learn questions like the questions she asks. We get to be surprised while she's at this new mutant school and a little overwhelmed. And you can kind of sympathize with her. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, something crazy happened and we can't quite explain it. Anna Paquin was a recent Oscar winner when she was cast as that role. Mm-hmm. She doesn't necessarily lend the same Mississippi spunk as like the comic book mm-hmm. rogue because she's a little bit younger. But that's not the problem. Something happens. In the second movie, You like the first movie is all about her. You yeah. couldn't lift her out yeah. and have the plot make sense. The second movie, all of her parts could be lifted out. Oh. And it would make total sense. Yeah. The third movie, she has a couple speaking lines, but she's super soft. And like her powers get taken away, just like in the comic books. And by the fourth movie... There's one clip of her, no speaking lines, and, like, you could miss it if you were blinking. Oh, my gosh. Why? None of us wanted to see Rogue go, but Fox didn't have the rights to Miss Marvel. And without Miss Marvel, they, like, couldn't think of a reasonable way that would be fine with comic book readers for her to get all these crazy, cool powers. And then on top of that, there's the Hugh Jackman effect. When he started as Wolverine, he was relatively unknown. He was not a household name. He was famous, but he wasn't a household name the way he is now. And his part was done so well Mm -hmm. that the franchise decided to latch on to Wolverine Mm. instead of on to Rogue. People loved Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. And Rogue could kind of be pushed aside and largely forgotten. So today, Rogue remains everybody's favorite X-Man on paper and as a cartoon character. She's happily married to Gambit, but 
Um, maybe in the next iteration of superhero movies, when they redo the X-Men, Rogue will get her due. And I mean, it's not Anna Paquin's fault. No, no. It just it like, seem like it at all. Hugh just like was really good at his job <laughs> and everybody fell in love with Wolverine. Yeah. And wow. that is the story of Rogue. Wow. I'm, it's interesting too, though, that like in this movie series that like I really came into the X-Men on, I even still latched onto her, even though like. She was basically pushed out of that whole series. Yeah. <laughs> She's a lot of fun because the whole first movie is told through her point of yeah. view. And like Magneto is like using her to get her powers. And like, mm -hmm. that's the thing about Rogue. She was always a pawn yeah. because she's the most powerful. She's mm -hmm. a pawn for Mystique. I mean, the X-Men use her as a warrior. That's why yeah. she's so strong. And then Magneto tries it in the movies because her power is one in a million. You can yeah. suck the energy from something else. That's yeah. amazing. Mm. So... Pretty cool. That's Rogue's story. All right. Well, now we need to talk about these two ladies together in a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. Okay. Did you plan this? I, I mean, I, Katie. I had like the general theme of like the person who can't be touched and like an angel of death. And like, like, I definitely did like think about it, mm -hmm. but I didn't think about it any more than like that. Of, I mean, like, generally like that they both like are can slowly suck the life force out of someone yeah that's crazy that's what they're both doing yeah and i also think it's very fascinating because i didn't know that rogue was a a villain in the beginning mm -hmm. so i kind of love also that she is a good person who is seen as bad and has to gain people's trust back mm -hmm. whereas jane toppin is a bad person who immediately has people's trust. Oh yeah. Who then has it like slowly eroding away yeah. of like, Oh wait, hold on. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? They're like very opposite in that, but also like there's just that common thing of like touching is bad for these two women. Like when mm -hmm. they touch you, the most likely scenario is that you will die or be in a very weakened state. Right. Which is fascinating. It is. And they both have very similar backgrounds. Yes. Their mothers died when they were young. Their fathers didn't know what to do t with them. They had to go to, like, like outsource baby care. It mm -hmm. didn't turn out well. And then so much about asylums. Like, a lot of the X-Men series is about these mutants need to be put away. They're dangerous. They're mm -hmm. dangerous. And, like, the same thing is happening, you know rightly so kind of to some of the people in your story yeah well and i think that it's interesting that at a young age too so like they obviously had very traumatic things going on with their parents with their family and then they're taken into a new family mm -hmm. both of them rogue is taken in to be with mystique and destiny jane is taken to the top and family and in each scenario they're being told that like the world is a bad place and they don't belong Mystique and Destiny are instilling it into Rogue that, like, nobody wants you because you're a mutant, so you should be fucking angry. Right. And in the Toppin family, it was like, nobody wants you because you're Irish, so you should be just grateful that we're taking you in and being nice to you and giving you a roof over your head. Right. So it's like, they're being told from this very early age that, like, you should feel really fucking bad about yourself. <laughs> and I think that that's why, like, when they got older, like, you know, power became such a hot topic. It's like, do I have it? Do I not? Like, it's a very complicated relationship with it. 
Well, it is, and it's. I found it like shocking that like one of the first things we see Rogue do is put somebody in an irreversible coma. Yeah, because mm-hmm. that is like the ultimate power—the power over life and death—and mm-hmm. that is what Jane is experimenting with mm-hmm. her entire adult life. What power does she have over life and death? Right. And I also think um, the relationship with sex is very interesting in this mm. because with Rogue, like, she literally cannot be, like, physically intimate with, like, anyone basically, except for, like, Wolverine, it mm-hmm. seems like, because he can heal himself. So, like, she cannot be physically intimate. And with Jane, she's literally getting off. She's mm-hmm. getting a sexual thrill from killing people and meanwhile like that's the thing that's keeping rogue from having sex from being intimate Mm -hmm. from exploring that self that side of her and it's this unfortunate narrative we have about women in general is that sex is bad when you have sex bad things happen Mm -hmm. (laughs) like i feel like female sexuality is so often villainized whereas with men it is lauded and Mm -hmm. you know it's like we have so many movies about the great uh, voyage of a boy trying to lose his virginity. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of the stories we get from women's side is like, like when I was a kid, I saw like, Oh my gosh, she just tried to like kiss her first boyfriend and she like fucking killed him. Right. Like, (laughs) and that's terrifying. It's terrifying. And like, I just feel like, women are never allowed to have a fucking normal relationship with sex. And Mm -hmm. it's very frustrating. Yeah. And I, I find it interesting the way that like rogue is written by men Mm -hmm. and how she became a fan favorite. A lot of times like female superheroes don't get the same like passion from the male readership. And I think some of it has to do with the fact that she is this untouchable woman, Mm -hmm. which is, I don't know. Maybe it's sexy. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's like something that it's like you're so desirable because you're untouched, which is like that weird question of virginity that Mm -hmm. like comes up all the time, like deflowering someone. Yeah. And it almost sounded like when they wrote that line for Gambit, like that's what they were going for. Right. Like she's the ultimate virgin. Right. And like because he's such a cad, it's like. Of course, that's the one woman he wants is right. the one that he can't conquer. Right. And what's his, what's your power? You throw playing cards at people? Yeah. You idiot? <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> Dummy. It was funny because when I did my rogue costume, I, my boyfriend at the time, I was, it was Dylan and I was like, you should be Gambit. And he goes, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Gambit is a great character. I like him. But, but yeah, it's this whole thing of like, cause I wonder sometimes like Jane probably also like never had like a physical relationship Mm -mm. with anybody so like she's like obviously getting off on like killing these people but like this is we're talking about two like untouched people but one is is like loved by people like Mm -hmm. i think rogue does have a lot of love coming towards her but is it superficial like does she really have very good connections because i feel like that was jane's thing it's like Mm -hmm. she's like I make a great first impression. People right. love me off the bat. But then, like, it kind of slowly gets muddled up and people realize that I'm a fucking con artist. You right. Know? So it's kind of like, what are you sucking from people? What are you gaining? And, like, obviously with Rogue, it's not intentional. Right. People start to get sick of the whole, like, I can't even be near you. I can't touch you. Like, this is annoying. Whereas, like, Jane, it's like, 
you need to get away from me. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> you're stealing, Babe, you're being back. terrible, you're lying. Like, <laughs> And I thought it was crazy that Jane and Mystique did the same thing where they try to go in and seduce somebody I know. by, like, pretending to be the other person. Yeah. And it's like, I'm sorry, that's not the way, like, love works. Like, and I liked that storyline about it. It's like, Gambit doesn't love Rogue because of his, like, physical connection to her. He mm-hmm. loves her because he loves her. Yeah. And, like, I thought that was interesting. And I think it's the same with, like, um, what was the guy's name that she's seducing? Mel. Mm -hmm. He doesn't love, you know, Elizabeth because she kept house for him. Yeah. Like, he loved his wife. Yeah. Like, so you can't just, Jane, you can't just take her place. It doesn't work like that. When That's, like, such an interesting way of, like, when you have someone like Mystique or like, like it's actually funny. Jane and Mystique actually are kind of very similar yeah, in this they way are, they are. because they don't understand human relationships. Mm-hmm. Jane is like, <laughs> I'm another woman who grew right. up in the same house as Elizabeth. I'm yeah. basically the same person except I'm a serial killer. And like, <laughs> that's why I would love to read that romance novel. Oh my God, she wrote, yeah, what does she think I would romance is? I would love to know. What are those pale blue eyes or whatever it was? <laughs> like sweet blue eyes. Like I also, <laughs> I, first of all, I love a romance novel. Me too. <laughs> I just finished one and it was great. Yes. <laughs> I, um, I also wonder, like, do Jane and Mystique have a more similar experience because Mystique's powers couldn't be latent in the same way because she was born looking a certain way. And Jane is born Irish, right? So, like, Mm -hmm. Mystique can change into a ton of people, but when she looks like herself, is she lovable, right? Like, that's what's kind of interesting about how they're very similar. Right. Well, and it's also, like, I wrote that about, you said in the beginning that, like, X-Men was so successful because it was purposefully international, purposefully inclusive, Mm -hmm. you know, when it, obviously wanted to gain more listeners right. readers mm-hmm. and Jane was growing up in this like Irish need not apply a society of like you're lesser than because you are Irish like we don't want anything even though like she was like I was born in America like my parents are immigrants but like I was born here like I am American mm-hmm. you know but they still didn't want anything to do with it and I also thought about like Jane didn't have a Professor X to let her in. Right. Like Rogue had that. And I wonder if Mystique had that of like that opportunity to like be accepted, be involved with people who are like, the world's not out to get you, Mm -hmm. actually. Like, and I wonder like if Jane had that, if things would have turned out differently. But she was always compared. Like, I think about that. She was like, Elizabeth, like, if I was only Elizabeth, my life would be perfect. Right. If I was just born into that family, if I wasn't born poor and Irish to Charlie the crackpot, like, (laughs) my, and, and that's the whole thing about both of these stories is like the what ifs are unimaginable. Right. And it sucks because Jane was such, she could have been just such a great fun nurse. And she she garnered a lot of respect from people and would have kept it if she just wasn't a murderer. (laughs) She wasn't a murderer. Yeah. Wow. That's Mm. pretty interesting. Oh my God. Ah, What a great I know. uh, That's crazy. I can't believe that. (laughs) All right. Well, now we've come to the end Mm -hmm. where we toast someone. Yeah. So, Allie, who would you like to toast this evening? I I want to toast today a whole bunch of different types of um, physical and non-physical relationships. 
I am not a person who like gives out physical touch easily, Mm -hmm. but it's not that I dislike being touched. I just like, I'm not the type of person that's very cuddly with everyone. Mm -hmm. So, and, and like, um, I just, I wonder how great it was for people who are aromantic or asexual to be able to read a comic book where somebody can be in a loving relationship that has never physically touched them. Like, yeah. and I think that's really cool because you still have that desire for love, even without the physical touch. Yeah. So people with touch, without touch and whose love language is touch, you're all worthy Cheers. of being touched <laughs> however much you want. All right. What do you got? I'm going to toast nurses that don't murder people. (laughs) My God. Um, (laughs) That's a low bar. (laughs) It's a really low bar. But I want to toast nurses because, you know, God, they're fucking seeing the shit, man. They are. Thankless. They are. It is a thankless, you know, it is largely a thankless job. And they are the ones who are seeing the patients the most. Mm -hmm. They're the one, like... (laughs) When my sister-in-law first started nursing, she was like, I'm just wiping butts all day. (laughs) She was like, and that's it. And I went to school for this insane amount of time. (laughs) So I just want to toast the nurses because also like they're in a position where like people that they are caring for do pass away. Mm -hmm. And to imagine that like, it's hard. Like, especially Mm -hmm. as like, you know, I was thinking about this recently because we had a family person who like died in hospice and like his children were like so mad at the hot they're like you killed him to the hospice mm-hmm. workers and they were like no we didn't mm-hmm. <laughs> obviously he was in hospice he was already on his way like there were a lot of other factors like mm-hmm. so i just want to toast the nurses because you're probably constantly met with that shit and mm-hmm. of like you don't know what you're doing you're not a doctor and it's like I'm actually doing all the doctor. I'm actually doing <laughs> literally all the doctor work with none of the pay or the credibility. So, or like not the credibility, but like the um, acknowledgement. Yeah. You know. So I just want to toast the nurses. Yeah, to the nurses. You're great Woo! as long as you're not Jane Thompson. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Now, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? You're going to hate me for this because I don't know the name of it. Okay. But I told you about it on Sunday. Uh Um, Producer and I watched a documentary on Netflix about basketball. You can just type it in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It was about the Olympic team that came back and won in 2008 after losing in 2004. I love a good sporting movie and usually you love an Mm. underdog story but this isn't an underdog story this Mm. is a story about the best guys in the nba losing the olympics because they didn't know how to do teamwork Mm. um and like the rest of the world just got as good at basketball as us and we had to learn how to play together like as a team like bring these stars together and make them pass the ball and make them like you know learn each other so it was just a really like uplifting and encouraging you know, movie and like Kobe's in it and his daughter's in it, which was like really lovable yeah. just because, you know, of his recent passing. It was like, you know, really nice to see him oh, and her. Awesome. I don't know. It was really, really good and uplifting to watch. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. <sighs> All right. What do you got? I have changed my promo three times since we started. Oh, shit. Um, but I just remembered when we were talking that I read this great rom-com book, and I want to recommend it because I think it's just so nice to be reading anything. Mm-hmm. So, like, don't give up. I just want people to not care that, like, they're not reading Proust, you know, mm-hmm. like Rory Gilmore. Like, what? 
I read this book. It was called The Unhoneymooners, and it's by Christina Lauren. Christina Lauren is a pen name for two best friends who write rom-com books together. And it was so great because it's a typical, like, you know, enemies turned lovers story. And, like, they have to, like, go on this honeymoon vacation together. And, of course, they fall in love. But, like, the book doesn't end at the end of the honeymoon. It ends, like, it's, like, you know, three-fourths of the way through. They're home from the honeymoon. And then something else happens. And it's just that extra thing that I love that effort that's put in of, like, this isn't just, like, enemies turn love is on a honeymoon on honeymoon and like that's it like mm-hmm. there's a lot going on and i think that it's so good it's a really fun read that's and it's great. exciting and yeah the un honeymooners un honeymooners that yes. sounds fun i'm gonna put it's it on my list twins and hawaii and <laughs> perfect <laughs> and gross men <laughs> gross gross men so you know it's they're the worst great mm-hmm. and i and i love it and i love that like the main character like her and her twin sister like come from like this big like latin family so she's like I love that my family's around all the time, but I also hate that my family's around all the time. Like my sister told them I was having a hard time. So then like I came home and they were all making me dinner, which is like so nice, but I also want them to go away. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Preach. (laughs) Oh, it's so great. So yeah, the Unhoneymooners by Christine Lauren. Perfect. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you all for listening. This has been so great. Join us on March 24th. Ah! If you want to come to our live show, it's going to be very exciting. It's on zoom. So no matter where you are in the world, It might be an inconvenient time for you, but we're going to have a good time. Yeah, we'll have a great time. (laughs) Um, And if you can, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We're still still doing our book giveaway. Yeah, we are. Yes, it's very exciting. Um, so if you rate and re- if you review us, not just mm-hmm. rating, because we don't know who you are if you rate yeah, us. Yeah, if you review <laughs> us, then I will we'll try to message you, because we have to kind of find you and then yes. figure out what your address is. <laughs> so if you review us and then message us, I can figure out your address and yes. try to send them. I haven't sent them yet because I was waiting to get them all, so I can do it in one batch. In just one batch, one go. Um, so, yes, yeah, so if you want a book, Review us, mm-hmm. send us your address, and we'll get it to you. Yeah. It's going to be great. It will be. Um, and it's also just nice to leave us reviews because we're, we deserve We're it. a grassroots <laughs> program. Yeah, just, just <laughs> us. Um, and if you want to continue the party and you want to hear what we have to say about our very mm-hmm. personal lives, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you can join us on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. You can add to our cocktail budget, which has grown exponentially over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and... <laughs> You can hang out with us and support the show because we love you and we want you to be a part of our awesome community of listeners. Yay! Um, so yeah, join us there. Join us everywhere. Uh, we're online. You know, <laughs> hang out for Tipsy Tuesdays. It's very fun. We're you every spot. Every spot. Every spot. But mostly, we want you to never forget that well-behaved women don't administer morphine <laughs> unless you need it. <laughs> They rarely make history. (laughs) Goodbye.